You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Abide. All right, open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter number 4, 1 John chapter number 4, and we are going to be reading verses 7 through 12 today, 1 John chapter 4 and verses 7 through 12, and we are continuing our series looking at the one another passages in the Bible. A form of the word one another is found 100 times in 94 New Testament verses, and that really indicates that we need each other in the Christian life. God did not intend for us to live isolated and alone, but to live with a community. And that's what this series is all about. We are looking at some of those one another passages in the Word of God. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I truly believe that deep in the heart of every human is a desire for community. It is a desire for relationships. You see, God designed us to be relational beings and wants us to experience abundant and life-giving relationships. He really does. But sadly, the reality of relationships today strays from this ideal. In the 21st century today, we are not relational beings. Homes have turned into battlefields instead of sanctuaries, and churches have become divided rather than united. And the problem just gets worse when you look at social media, right? Social media is crowded with individuals competing to make a point rather than trying to make personal connections. We have a problem in the 21st century today. And because of this, many wonder if it's even possible to build quality and meaningful relationships in the world that we live in right now. Many people wonder that. And if you've had issues with relationships in your life before, you may be thinking today, can broken relationships be restored? Can we be relational beings once again? And I want you to know that the answer is a resounding yes. We absolutely can. Broken relationships can be restored, and we can be relational beings once again because relationships are God's precious gifts to us, and it's the channel through which we communicate his love. And that's what we'll discover today in our one another passage found in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Notice what the Bible says there. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. We see that phrase, one another there. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves God is born of God and knows God. Now, if you asked me to summarize the Christian faith in one sentence, I believe I could do so using that verse. Because the Christian life is all about love. The single most important thing Christians can learn while on earth is to learn how to love. Did you know that? It really is. That's one of the reasons why God created us, to learn his love and to learn to love others in that same way. And the reason why this is so important is because if you learn how to love, everything else in the Christian life will fall into place. Your worship will fall into place. Your relationships will fall into place. Your service will fall into place. Everything will fall into place if you learn how to love. And that's what the Apostle John is dealing with here in 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4 and verses 8 through 12, we are given the secret to learning how to love. The secret to learning to love one another. And you want to know what it boils down to? It all boils down to one word, 
and that word is reflection. Reflecting on God's relentless love. That's ultimately what it takes, and and that's what we're going to do today, all right? We are going to reflect on the relentless love of God for a couple of moments, okay? Uh, And the first one is this. If you are following along in your outline, you can write this down. I want you to notice, number one, the definition of God's love. The definition. You see, the Bible actually defines the love of God. Did you know that? It's found in our next verse, uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, Love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And then verse 8, the Bible says, He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says God is love. And, and that verse right there clearly states that God is the essence of love. And the cool thing is, he is telling us something about the nature and core of God here. You see, it's not merely that God loves, it's that God is love. And everything that he does is rooted in and motivated by love. God is love, which is really cool. But to really comprehend the intensity of this truth, it's important for us to understand the types of love, the types of love in Bible times, because our idea of love can be a lot different than what's said here. You see, our society talks a lot about love, but in reality, we know very little. Kids are are quick to say, I love you to their girlfriends when they have no idea what love is. Or people will say, I love football and I love my wife in the same sentence. That's not the same, right? Our idea of love is misconstrued. And the reason why this is, is because in the English, we only have one word for love. But back in Bible times, the Greek had three. Three different words for love. There was eros love, phileo love, and agape love. Now, eros love is romantic love or sensual love. That word is not found in the Bible, but it's the type of love that maybe I have for my wife. One of the types of love that I would have for my wife. Now, I don't have an eros type of love for you. That would be weird, but I eros my wife. But then the other word that's found that the Greek used, and this one's found in the word of God, is the word phileo, which means friendly love or brotherly love. That is the type of love that I have for you and you have for me. I phileo you guys. I love you guys and you love me. So we have eros, we have phileo, And then the third Greek word that is used is the word agape, agape love. And that is the word mentioned here in 1 John 4, 8. The Bible says, for God is agape, God is love. And you want to know what that word agape means? It means unconditional and divine love. That's the idea there. It's a love that loves without expecting anything in return. And it's a love that ultimately only God can produce. In fact, this word was only given to describe God-like love. Did you know that? Literally, for the writers of the New Testament, the idea of God's unconditional love was so radical and so advanced that the only way to capture it truly was by introducing a new word altogether. This is a, a new word here. Literally, God had to invent a new word to describe his love. How cool is that? That's how awesome God's love is, but that's not even the coolest part. You see, besides being agape, besides being love, God actually loves us with that agape love. 1 John 4, 8, the Bible says God is love, right? But if you jump on down to verse 19, we're still dealing with the same context, and the Bible says, 
we love him because he first loved us. So that verse tells us that God loves us. He loves us with this agape, divine-like, unconditional love. But not only that. No, it also says he loved us first. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And you want to know what that verse tells me? That verse tells me that God's perfect love for you existed deep in the depths of eternity even before time began. This almighty God loves you with an almighty love. Think about it for a second, all right? God knows all, he transcends all, and he is magnificent beyond human imagining. Yet his love for you is so close and so intimate that it has been in his heart longer than the world has existed. And that's not even the best part. No, you wanna know what the best part is? The best part is that this love will never run out. This love will never diminish. This love will never go away. Now you could say, Michael, surely there's gotta be a limit to this type of love. Surely it's gotta be conditional for believers. Well, you would think so, but that's not what the scriptures say. No, the scriptures say the exact opposite of that actually. You read the book of Romans and the book of Romans tells us that nothing will separate us from his love. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight and verses 38 and 39, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from his love. And time and time again, we see Bible characters experiencing this unconditional and limitless love. This unconditional and limitless love. David, think about him for a second. We're, we've been doing a series on David on Sundays. David was an adulterer, but he never found the end of God's love. You look at Peter. Peter was a liar, but he never found the bottom of God's love. And you look at the Apostle Paul. Paul was a murderer, but he never found a limit to God's love. All of those people, they hit rock bottom in life, but they never found the bottom of God's love. You read the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says in 31 and verse 3, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. That's what God's word says. God loves us with an everlasting love. That's a love that never ends. That's a love that never fails. And that is a love that never changes. And you want to know something? There's going to be a lot of things in your life that are going to change. Throughout the course of your life, things are going to change completely. In three years, your life will be completely different than what it is now. But in the midst of all the change, remember this now, there is one thing that will never change. And that is God's unconditional, unrelenting, undiminished, everlasting love for you. It will never change. God's love is reliable. God's love is unchangeable. It is consistent. It is dependable. It is steadfast. It's unwavering, it's enduring, and God will never love you any more than he does right now, and he will never love you any less than he does right now. You see, God's love for us is far greater than anything we can ever imagine. His love is long enough to last forever. His love is wide enough to embrace everything about you. His love is deep enough to pull you out of your deep despair, and God's love is high enough to overlook every sin you commit. That is agape love. God is love and he loves us. 
So that's point number one. We need to reflect on the relentless love of God by looking at the definition. But secondly, the second way we need to reflect on God's love is by looking at the displaying of his love. The displaying of God's love. You see, not only is God's love defined in 1 John chapter 4, but it's also displayed. And as we continue reading, we discover that God displays his love in two different ways. We find out in verse 9 that his love was displayed through the cross. The Bible says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The Bible says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. All right, now you look up that word manifested there, and it means to come out into the open or to be made public. In other words, to put on display. And do you want to know something? God put his love on display for us when he sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. His love for you was made public through the cross. God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you and for me. As Jesus Christ hung there on the cross with his arms stretched wide, he was saying, this is how much I love you. You see, the cross displays the essence of God, and it is a symbol of God's perfect love. Let me ask you, have you ever wondered why the cross of Jesus Christ is the symbol of our faith? You ever wondered that? You go from church to church to church, and no matter what church you go to, you're going to see a cross of some kind. Why is that, though? Why is that the case? Just for example, I, I'm recording this in the sanctuary right now, and as I recorded this, I, I counted 117 crosses that are put on display right now in the sanctuary alone. 117. But my question is why? Why is the cross the symbol of our faith? Well, Max Licato says to find the answer, look no further than the cross itself. You see, the cross is the symbol of love. And its design could not be any simpler. You've got one beam that's horizontal and the other beam that's vertical. One reaches out just like God's love and the other reaches up. It reaches high as does God's holiness. One represents the width of his love the other represents the height of his perfection. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection between the affection and the perfection of God, where God forgave his children without lowering his standards. You see, God is a God of love, yes, but God is also a holy, holy, holy God. And because he is a thrice holy God, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And the Bible says we've all sinned. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And there is a penalty for sin. In Romans 6.23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is separation from God. There is a penalty to the sins that we've committed. But understand this now. God does not want to pour out his judgment of sin onto you. So he sent Jesus Christ to die in your place. And that's why the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, the wages of sin is separation, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift 
was provided by Jesus Christ dying on the cross in your place for your sins at this place called Calvary. You see, when Jesus Christ hung there on the cross, the Bible says he bore your sin, your suffering, and your shame, and he did all of this so that you could be saved. The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, yes, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. God's love put on display, and that's why the cross is the perfect symbol of love. God displayed his love through that cross. I believe Billy Graham summed it up perfectly when he said, God is saying from the cross, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I would agree with that. So his love is put on display through the cross. We see that in verse number nine, and this was manifested, the love of God toward us. But the second way God's love is put on display is found in verse 10, and we find out it's put on display through his son. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, that word propitiation, if you look it up, it's a beautiful word, and it means atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ is our atoning sacrifice. He sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, I want you to understand who Jesus Christ is for a second, because sometimes we take it for granted. Jesus isn't just a good person, even though he is. And he isn't just our prophet, priest, and king. And he isn't just the savior of the world, even though he's all of those things. Do you want to know what Jesus is? Jesus is God's son. He is the son of God. So this verse is telling us that God sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for you and for me. To be our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice. God sent his only son to die on the cross for us. He displayed his love through the giving of his son. Now let me ask you something. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to do what God did? Would you offer the life of your child for somebody else? I'm going to be honest with you now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't in a million years. Now, I do want to clarify. There are people that I would gladly give my life for people that I would gladly die for today. But if someone asked me to make a list of people I would be willing to give up my daughter for, dude, you wouldn't have to bring me a pen because my list would be blank, all right? I could never write a list down. I could never do so. I love my daughter too much. But can I tell you something today? That's not how God's love is. No, my list would have no names on it. But you wanna know something? Did you know that God has a list? He does. God has a list. And God's list contains the names of every person who has ever lived. God's list contains the whole world. And that's found in John 3, 16. We all know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, God loves us with an everlasting love in order for us to have everlasting life. God allowed his only son to die so that we can spend eternity with him. And all we have to do to experience this, all we have to do is call upon him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me ask you, have you done that? Have you called upon God? 
Have you put your trust in him? I pray that you do. And if you have, man, let's rejoice. Let's praise the Lord and let's reflect on God's relentless love. Let's reflect on his love through the definition. Let's reflect on his love through the displaying. And then number three, let's reflect on his love due to the demonstration. All right, the demonstration of God's love. And that demonstration of his love is found in verse number 11. Verse by verse, we're going on down the list. And, and as we come to verse 11, we see the demonstration. The Bible says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So right there, we see that phrase, one another. 1 John 4, 7, the Bible tells us to love one another. Now in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 11, we are told again to love one another. So because God loves us, we are to love one another. That's what that verse is saying. Now, that sounds simple enough, right? Okay, I can do that. That's no problem. But remember now, it's not just with any love. No, we are to love with God's love. Both of those words for love there are the same Greek word agape. Beloved, if God so loved us, agape, we ought also to love one another, agape. So we are to love one another with God's unconditional, unending, and supernatural love. That's the way we are to love one another. Jesus said it in another verse this way in John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's where it can get difficult, guys. I'm gonna be honest with you. That's where it can get hard because I'm all about experiencing unconditional love, right? But it's a whole other ball game, man, to love others in that same way love others the way Jesus loves me, that's, that's hard, man. That's difficult. And my question is, how do we do that? How is it possible? How can we love others the way God loves us? Well, I'm here to tell you today, it's not as difficult as you think. You see, for us Christians, you want to know what it goes back to? It goes back to that one word, reflection. Reflecting on God's love for us. That's all it takes. Look at verse 11 again. The Bible says, beloved, if God so loved us. Now that word if is rhetorical. It's, it's basically like the word since, all right? The apostle John is calling for a renewed attention to God's love for us as seen in the previous verses. Because in verse seven, he says, love one another. Then he describes the love of God. And then in verse 11, he says, love one another. He's calling for a reflection on the verses prior. And essentially he's saying, since God loves us, as seen in the previous verses, then we ought also to love others with that same love. That's what the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John is saying. He called for a reflection, a reflecting on God's love. And understand this now, that reflection leads to a demonstration, a demonstration of God's love. In other words, if you reflect on God's love for you, you will then reflect that love onto others. You won't be able to help but love others with that everlasting, undiminished, unrelenting, unconditional love of God because you will want others to experience the same love that you are experiencing. And you want to know something? When we do that, when we love others with that everlasting agape love, the world will see God. The world will see God in us and God will get the glory. And that's how the Apostle John closes in verse 12. The Bible says, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us 
and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. That's beautiful, man. Hey, others will see Jesus in us when we live with a heart of love. And only God-like love can accomplish that. So as I close today, I ask, are you reflecting on God's love in your life? Are you loving others with that agape love? If you aren't, the answer's simple. Let's stop, let's pause, and let's reflect on the unrelenting, undiminished, amazing love that God has for you.